Minnesota, connecting people one conversation at a time. Steph and I are excited for today's guest, Jonathan C.W. Jones, seasoned award-winning educator, founder and CEO of Ideation 4, currently working as an instructional coach for St. Paul Public Schools. Our topic today is cultural competency, a racial autobiography. Jonathan, you know what? Let's talk. So before we get started, let's learn a little bit about you, Jonathan. Can you start there? Uh, yes. First, I'd like to say thank you um, for this opportunity. Um, and I'm excited to join the two of you. Um, so about me, um, I will start with by saying um, I was born in 1974, September 3rd, and I was born Christopher Lee. And my biological mother placed me for adoption. And when, when I was uh, nine months old, I was adopted by um, Lou Walker and my father, um, Maurice Jones. Um, when I was adopted into the family, um, they renamed me um, and to their credit, um, they decided to keep my name Christopher and move it. Um, they named me Jonathan Christopher William Jones. Each of my names are significant to me because my names, my first name Jonathan is my um, mother's father's name. Christopher is my birth name. William is my father's father's name and Jones is my given name. So I take great pride in that because um, it shows a lot about my parents' character to recognize my biological mother um, and um, recognize her in, in the naming of me. Um, so a little bit more about my background. Um, my parents divorced um, when I was six years old. Um, later, and as time progressed, um, my mother remarried. Um, George Thompson, who became my stepfather, and I'd like to share that um, he was my stepfather, now he is my father. Um, there's been too many years of him supporting me and loving me um, and helping me to become the man that I am, so he no longer is called my stepfather, he's just called my father. Um, so um, he has been a significant person in my life as well. Um, my, my adopted father, um, a few years ago passed, unfortunately, um, but my, my other father, George, is still in my life, thankfully. Um, I grew up in Maplewood, Minnesota. Um, I attended Roosevelt Area High School. Um, I am a 1993, ooh, I'm dating myself, 1993 graduate of Roseville Area High School. Um, and I say that also because that also plays a significant um, role in my identity and my history. Um, and at that time, um, in the 90s, um, I would say a good percentage was probably about 4% of the student body of our district were, were kids of color. Um, and there are some significant racial um, episodes that happened um, during that, during my, um, my upbringing in, in school that we'll probably get into a little bit today. Um, I also, um, my, another significant piece is kind of, kind of fast forwarding. Once I graduated from high school, I had my first job um, as a mentor um, for younger students. And that job was extremely significant because it ushered me into the field of education. I had no idea um, I was going to become an educator. Um, and to be quite honest, I didn't think I was smart enough to even go to college. My plan out of high school was get a job. <laughs> that was my plan. Um, Cause I just didn't think, I didn't think I was smart enough um, and had enough uh, to offer students. Um, but once I had that experience and a few years under my belt teaching, um, I left and went to the best historical black college and university in the country. It's called Xavier University of Louisiana. And that's in New Orleans. Um, I spent four years there and got a degree in special education. While I was there, I met some phenomenal people and mentors, one of which I'll name is, um, her name is Dr. Jean um, Barry Doty. Um, and she works for actually ETS, which is the educational um, technology system that does a lot of the testing with educators. Um, but she was one of my mentors who um, really encouraged me to consider taking, uh, going to graduate school. I had no plans. Again, I wanted to get a my degree and come back home and teach and she was like nope you need to go to grad school now um, and I listened um, and for a couple summers I had the opportunity to do graduate level research um, at Penn State 
And um, that experience led me uh, to do a whole host of research and found out that I really liked doing research. Um, and they got, got the opportunity and a scholarship to attend Penn State and got a master's degree um, in special education. And then I came home and ever since then, since about 2007, I've been teaching in the Twin Cities. Um, and then recently, um, just last year, decided um, that I wanted to get my admin license and completed my administrative license at um, the University of Minnesota. So kind of a whole range of experiences that I've had uh, in my life. Congratulations. Uh, thank you so much for sharing um, your background because I think it really does play into our conversation today. And I know one thing when we were preparing for this day, we had talked about cultural competency as you know effective communication between people. And one thing that stood out um, that you really spoke to Steph and I about is that it first starts with understanding self and accepting self. And do you think you can highlight that a little bit for us? Yeah, I can. Um, growing up being, um, and kind of rewinding back a little bit um, in my upbringing, um, I, I am a biracial uh, uh, individual. My biological mother was white. My biological father was black. Um, I was raised in a black um, household, um, but I had early on, I had some identity issues um, and really had to work through um, uh, some self-worth um, self-hate issues in my life, um, not thinking I was black enough, um, not feeling like I fit in, um, not sure where I was. And I would say, I think a lot of students um, and people go through that identity kind of phase in their life, who am I? Um, but I think for people who are um, biracial and also adopted, I think we go through it earlier than everybody else um, for a variety of reasons. Because um, you know, I won't get into that piece, but um, really coming through that and figuring out kind of who I am as an individual was really significant and started starting to ground myself as far as my background that I was adopted, um, but that doesn't make me less than um, and that there's nothing wrong with me. Um, it just makes me different um, and, and, that, and that's okay. Um, but I had to work through that emotionally because there was a, for a, a several years time where there was some self-hate. Um, and I didn't think I would, you know, there's just some, some negative feelings that I had to get through and eventually did. And that's where I start off with the cultural competency piece is that if you're not, if you sense, if you feel like you're, you're not even, you don't even know what your culture is, how can you first become competent uh, with other cultures? You have to have a sense of self. And I don't, I don't care if it's, I, and I'd say that for about anybody, if you don't have a sense of who you are culturally and, your, and who you come from, that's a problem and, and 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 white is not a culture black is not a culture and really identifying what makes you who you are um if you don't have a strong understanding of who, what that is you can't really um even start to begin to respect other cultures um so that's why i feel personally that you got to have that firm foundation of self first and then once you have that foundation then you have to then work through acceptance like i had to work through okay I am adopted and I'm okay um, and continue moving on. You have to be able to accept yourself. I think there are a lot of people in this world that don't necessarily accept their cultural background for whatever reason. Um, and I think if, they, if individuals don't, that can be a, a hindrance to them and others. So when you, I just, you know, I love um, when you're talking about how white is not a culture. I think that I, that really resonates with me because, um, you know, as a Minnesota um, culture, there are cultural norms in Minnesota, just like there are in Southern um, United States or Eastern or Western. Um, when you're talking culture with people, do you feel like um, many people would confuse culture with race? Um, yes, and I think it's partly because, myself included, we t use these terminology, we say, I'll, I'll say as a black man, um, I, I'll, I'll subscribe to that. But at the same time, I, I do know that I'm more than that. Um, but I think it's because we subscribe to the idea of racism, whether we fully realize it or not. Um, and I think that's a, one of the issues that we have within our culture is that there's this idea of, it's, the idea of white supremacy is not, a, it's not an abstract idea. It is, it is an idea 
that unfortunately has a, a, a negative reality, if that makes any sense. So in my opinion, I now know that racism is not, racism and race is not real, but there is a reality to it. And I'm kind of getting off topic a little bit, um, but those are pieces that I think can get confusing sometimes. I know in high school, that was one of the things that we used, we did, um, me and my high school students, we experienced some racial incidences and um, my, I decided to do something about it in, my, in high school. And one of the things we did is we had a cultural diversity day. And in that we did a panel presentation just to talk about what is the definition of prejudice and what's the definition of racism. People, a lot of people get those two terminologies mixed up and even now and, and even to this day fast forward i don't think we necessarily always look deep enough into some of our own vocabulary that we use on a day-to-day -day basis mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and there seems to be you know when i hear you speak um there's layers to culture um culturalism so like the three of us although we're three very diverse individuals um you know I think that we share some aspects of our culture uh, because we both we all live in Minnesota. So there's this Minnesota culture. Mm -hmm. And then I think that there's this influence with our families. Um, so if you're raised Italian or Norwegian or whatever you're raised, you're gonna have another layer of your culture that differentiates you from the next person, like a family culture. And so I think too that, uh, sometimes maybe people want to simplify culture when it is actually very complex, like peeling away an onion. And so I think when you're talking about effectively communicating, do you feel like um, generalizations can, can sometimes be roadblocks to effectively communicating between people and cultural competency? Definitely. Um, um, I definitely think that generalizations can be a roadblock. And I think um, sometimes I know that I, I feel that we, we all use generalizations sometimes. Um, and I think sometimes we all put our foot in our mouth sometimes because we don't always realize sometimes when we're using generalizations, mm -hmm. it's usually after the fact, like, Oh, wait a minute, let me rephrase that. Um, so I, I think that it goes hand in hand that yes, those generalizations are a roadblock. Um, there's some truth to some of those general generalizations. Um, but also at the same time, um, those generalizations could be connected to some of our own internal biases. Yeah, I think too, um, you know, being a person of color and, and biracial as well, um, I think generalizations if uh, kind of go both ways where um, if I'm with a group of my friends that are predominantly white, I understand some of the Minnesota, I understand Minnesota culture. So we can find so much common ground. Um, but I think what's ironic is if you put me with a group of Korean Americans, I would not do well. Um, because even though I am racially Korean, I am not culturally Korean. And I think that's something that people really have a hard time grasping. Um, culturally identify um, as more Norwegian and more Italian, raised by those two um, ethnic back backgrounds of my parents. And I, I, I always find it curious how, you know, how our upbringings kind of bring some natural, um, I don't know, unique aspects to a culture, but yet that we can share a Minnesota culture. So if someone is coming in as like a refugee or an immigrant, um, really color of skin is not necessarily our divide it is our cultural differences and our norms of minnesota versus wherever they are coming from and then how do we find those how do we communicate it so we can find common ground um, to create like i think robust relationships um, do you feel like you could talk a little bit about those kind of generalizations and how we can make assumptions about people and categorize them and if we just kind of open up our hearts and our minds we actually see that um the first glance is not going to be the culture that you may expect mm. from someone yeah definitely um i think one of the things i've learned over the years is i think one of the pieces that 
I think we have to be, again, thinking about being self-aware, being okay with knowing that at some point in my life, at some point in your life, we're going to might say something that's going to offend somebody. And as long as we address that, that's okay. As long as we acknowledge, oh, I didn't know I offended you. My apologies. Not being scared and not living your life in a bubble where it's like, well, I can't say that. I might offend them. Well, if you, if you do think that, ask the question. I'm not sure. You know, my assumption might be, and, be, and not being scared to say, you know, my assumption was is X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. Can you help me understand a little better? And not be scared in offending somebody. Because it's gonna happen at some point in our lives. It's gonna happen. We're all gonna do it in some in some fashion with somebody. But not being scared of that happening, just recognize the fact that when it does, well, if it does happen, I'm gonna make sure that I that I address it and have a conversation and an open and honest conversation with that individual to correct that. Um, I think that especially in Minnesota, I think that's a big a big thing because in Minnesota, Minnesota is just very different. We 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 hear we you know nuances we we don't always communicate we don't always communicate we look away we put our head down we don't always acknowledge the the situation i think that in itself that is is part of the problem but if we recognize that hey i might offend somebody that's okay as long as i acknowledge it as long as i say you know what my bad i didn't realize that was offensive um help me understand how i can better articulate in the future right um I think that's a really big, a big thing. I almost feel like Steph should jump in here because I think that's a lesson that you've learned. I mean, this must be really resonating with you right now, Steph. Yes, thank you. Actually, I, um, okay. So Jonathan, you mentioned, you know, that we often tiptoe around, kind of turn to the side. We don't want to do anything that could step on somebody else's toes. And I, I feel that that's, I have so, so, so much to learn. And so thank you for having this conversation with us today, because no matter how many times I have conversations in the, this area, it seems like I still, I don't know if it's because I, I had a middle-class German upbringing. I, there was nobody of color that I graduated with. Um, and I feel that it caused me to be somewhat naive about things where, you know, like, no, nothing, nothing exists, or maybe I don't see it. I, my eyes, my glasses are kind of foggy to it because I don't have that lens or the experience of it. So when I start to learn about it, I get nervous that I am going to offend somebody. And that is where my threshold lies right now still is I can even feel my body sensations start to tell me this might be wrong to say, or this might be wrong to ask. You're going to offend somebody. And that causes me not to be open and, and um, approach That's it in a curious manner. And so I thank you for saying again and again that you, you, you know you are going to at some point offend somebody. But if you do it in a way that it's not intentional and if you learn about it, I think that's the next piece that I'm wondering is, so if I am supposed to accept that because I'm approaching things in a curious fashion and I know I have such great lengths to go to be able to learn, um, how, how, do I, how do I ask or invite people who I do offend to, to let me know? Because I feel like, you know, in addition to if I approach and I know I'm going to take a risk at offending, what about the recipient who might be offended, but they're going to do the same thing and not say anything because that's the Minnesota way, you know? So how do you, how do you approach a conversation that allows for that open, genuine um, learning and curiosity to happen? Um, I would say, honestly, um, you know, one of the biggest things um, I learned in my admin program is to not be scared to be vulnerable mm. um, and put yourself out there. Um, to be a leader means sometimes you say, you know, um, I'm smart and I don't know everything. Um, and together we can figure this out. Uh, I'm gonna make mistakes, but being vulnerable and being very deliberate about how vulnerable you're being and actually saying it. So, you know, I'm not sure about this right now. Um, 
not sure how I feel about this. Um, that's, that's, that's what I'm, I'm learning to start to do more of. Um, I haven't figured that out fully um, because the other piece too is personality is that, you know, you have individuals who are introverted like myself um, and individuals who are extroverted and how we communicate is not necessarily the same. Um, but I mean, I think part of it is being, again, coming back to self, being honest with self and saying, you know, I'm either going to choose to be vulnerable um, because there's something, there's something special and unique, I think, when people say, you know what, I'm going to be vulnerable. When someone says that to you, it's, I, I notice people's ears, their body changes, their posture changes. Oh, you're going to, I mean, okay, that kind of catches people off guard sometimes. Um, I'm going to be vulnerable. I don't know. Um, what do you think? So, I mean, I think there's, a, there's an aspect of when your body starts tingling um, and being, you know, I'm not sure how I feel about this, but let's, let's, let's see if we can jump into this conversation. And if they're not receptive, then you, we can't control whether or not someone else is receptive to that kind of conversation. We can only control what we put out. Yeah, and I think too, um, going back even to where you're saying, starting with yourself and knowing that every individual is going to be a little bit unique. And I think that kind of, you know, we've talked a little bit about the Minnesota nice culture where we're just like, uh, maybe trying to um, be a little bit, you know, we need to open our eyes a little bit and maybe not allow um, a, the dominant culture or the dominant um, privileged group um, in our area. Uh, we need to take a look at that. We don't want people to assimilate in, but that we more want to create um, that piece where everyone is seen as an individual and where we have things in common, we can find bridges and that we have unique things that we can share with each other. Um, I think that's really interesting to um, talk about because you really have to be vulnerable to be able to say, this, these are the unique things about me um, and I'm okay with that. So it really goes back to that self piece yeah. um, is really what I'm hearing you say too is, you know, how we, we choose to share ourselves we need to be able to be curious and find bridges but then be vulnerable to say hey i want to share this about myself um, as you're working with students jonathan how do you get them to get to the point where they can be curious to build bridges and be vulnerable to share some unique things about themselves when i was working in the classroom um my my first thing that I always strive to do was simply connect with, with my students um, because I felt that I needed to know who they were. Um, and a lot of times being in special education, a lot of times I would actually start the year, I might review their IEP, but a lot of times I wouldn't because um, sometimes we, we're, we put things in boxes, which is okay sometimes, um, but like in special education, I wanted to know them um, with some with clean eyes, if that makes sense. Um, so I would try to come into the situation and get to know them the first week of school as much as possible. Um, and in doing that, I was always honest. And I was just, I was, I was me. Um, I didn't pretend like I knew certain things. Um, like for example, some of my students might like certain hip hop artists and I would say, nope, I don't like them. Um, but yep, I like them or, you know, I, I, you know, they hate it. Like, for example, they hate I listen to jazz. I mean, I don't know all the jazz artists, but I like that. That's that's my vibe. Um, but this is who I was. So being genuine and sincere about who I was was also important um, because I wanted to build trust with them and I wanted to build a connection with them. And to me, as educators, that is the to me is the first and foremost job. Our job is to connect with our students. Secondary would be to connect with our families. Um, if we're not striving to do that. How are you? How, how can you teach them anything? They don't trust you. If you don't try to build a relationship with them, they don't trust you. And if they don't, if there's a, if there's no bridge um, um, of trust, then you, you're not gonna. You're just gonna be talking at them versus talking with them. Mm -hmm. And maybe a little bit um, in in the past practices um, in some classrooms, it was almost like a cultural blindness. Like we're all gonna be treated the same. We all are um, fifth grade students and really ignoring the fact that we are individually different. Um, I think that now it seems like 
you know, the cultural competency continuum of growth is asking us to see people as individuals and to see um, what they have that may be different than what I have, but they could give me something to enhance my life as well. And so not being blind to culture, but curious to culture, is that kind of how you see the paradigm shifting? Um, to some extent, yes. Um, being, yeah, I would say yes. Yeah, kind of a, it, it seems like, um, and I, I, maybe it goes back to the Minnesota nice thing too, where we just want to ignore and be everyone the same and um, only like, only address like the, is it like, I don't know, I'm probably even wording it wrong, um, but kind of like the needs of the dominant group are the needs of all <laughs> in the classroom. Um, so kind of making those presumptions where maybe there's more of a, um, a turn where we're saying um, differentiation, um, engaging in, in individual plans and understanding how your life experiences play into the educational process. I, do you see that um, teachers that are open to some of those concepts are also more open to um, what's happening in, in their adult lives as well? Um, yes, short answer is yes. Teachers, I think teachers who are receptive to learning about PBIS, learning about differentiated instruction approaches with students, um, learning about restorative practices, anything that's different and anything that kind of holds on to, and I'll kind of lump them all together, that mindset of a novice teacher, that first, second year of teaching, of novice teaching and holding on to that throughout our whole career, because that's a piece that gets, it gets lost. It gets lost while we're in, because we're inundated with so many different pressures and we all lose that. We lose the, the value of reflecting. As, I mean, you talk to teachers, first, year, first and second year teachers, they're constantly revaluing. Now, part of that is because they're coming into the field but they're constantly reflecting on their practice. But as they become more seasoned, they let the reflection piece go, which I think is, that's, that's one of the biggest pieces that I learned in my admin program is kind of coming full circle again. So wait a second, yeah, it's been years. I used, to, I used to journal almost every day and every week and be, ask myself, you know, that lesson was good here, here, and here, but that ending, that just, that, the ending was terrible. How can I change that? How can I modify that? And we lose that because there's so many different stressors that, that teachers are faced with that it's, it's, some people say that the noise, the other noise and the other stressors get in the way of what is the foundation. And I think those are some of those foundational things we end up losing. Um, and it's, and, and when new, new things come, come along like PBIS or restorative practices within schools, teachers, sometimes teachers are, oh, that's another thing I gotta learn. Yeah, it's another thing we gotta learn. We're always gonna have to learn. It's always gonna change. It's always going to change. We're gonna learn something in five years from now, we're gonna learn maybe we should have implemented restorative practice this way, or maybe we should have uh, implemented a PBIS this way. There's, it takes time and it, it, you can't expect different approaches that we use within education to just change everything overnight because it's not gonna happen that way. It's gonna happen over consistency and time. Uh, it's interesting too, like when I think you're talking about how we change the classroom and it's not going to happen right away, that we do need to do some reflectiveness and then, you know, take into account that you're always tweaking. And I think a big topic right now um, is, is looking at how we reflect um, different cultures and, and races in our curriculum um, without creating a day or a, um, uh, a month, but that it's more intertwined in reflections of your class daily. And um, I don't know if you see that, well, Steph, you know, you're, you're doing um, SEL. I think it's still the same thing where we need to see ourselves every day, a reflection of ourselves in our learning. Um, how as how as educators, how can we make that shift? How can we go from um, maybe exploring culture and and um, I don't know and race in more of like Black History Month or 
Thanksgiving or, mm -hmm. um, you know, even Christmas, right? So then how do we ex move away from that type of exploration and more into a reflection of who we are as a community of learners? Um, I think recognizing that there are more than one voices, there's more than one voice, there's more than one story. There's not a singular story of the United States. There's, and it, it doesn't fit nicely into one little book that's in one little curriculum that's being utilized within a district. It's across multiple groups. Um, and knowing that there's multiple stories across the history of our country. Um, there's not just one story, but there's one story that's kind of taught consistently. And there's more stories than that. Um, one example I think that could, could really help is um, looking at doing um, within school districts. Um, I know in St. Paul, we use, um, we call them racial autobiographies. Um, and as an instructional coach, um, my supervisor um, has a team of uh, uh, coaches and we were charged at the beginning of the year to do, we had to do a, a racial autobiography. And basically what it boiled down to is we had to share out who we were as an individual with our team members. And then we did a group process reflection. And that was really empowering, one, because it allowed each of us to tell our story about who we are as an individual, and two, learn more about each other. And then it, it helped us bond, and it helped us grow. Like, oh, I thought she, like, I had a coworker who I thought was Caucasian. Nope, she's Native American. And so it's like, so I got to learn some about, oh, I got, you know, I got my own biases. I was like, okay, I was off on that one. Um, so it's, that, that approach was really, I really liked that approach. Um, and I think if we utilize approaches like that in school systems, like if principals charged uh, and took the time to actually get to know each of the staff individually as a group, that will help with bonding and helping to get un, un, a little bit better or more understanding of each other's and our background. And then I would take it a step further and say, let's do this in the classroom because we don't do enough activities with our kiddos to find out who are they? We don't, they have phenomenal stories. I mean, we have, I mean, it, we have kids that have phenomenal stories and they've gone through, despite going through the traumas that they're faced with, they show up to school every day. Why? Yes, it might be a safe place. They might be getting food to eat and a variety of reasons why they're showing up. But that's not the only reason they're showing up. They also are connecting with adults at, those, at, those, at, the, at their schools. There's adults in the building that they trust. They may not trust everybody, but there's probably a couple of them that they do. Um, so those are two things I think that could happen more is that we really have conversations and, and have conversations about our, our history and the history of our country and the trauma that our country has gone through. We don't talk about that. Mm. That trauma has, affects more than one culture. It affects our entire, our entire country, everybody. Some people don't want to talk about race. They might feel ashamed because of their upbringing or whatever that may be. Some people are very angry because of what they experienced in their families. We don't, we need to go deeper than talking about equity. And, and you know, in the nineties, it was all about diversity and, and diversity training. And then now it's shifting now and talking about equity and inclusion, which is great, but we need to go deeper. We need to go deeper. I mean, looking at things about really helping us understand how do we process? How do we think? And we're all designed, we all process, and we all have our own biases. How does that actually work? I think we could benefit by having more PD that help us really identify how we process things um, and how that affects us and those around us. Like starting with ourselves as educators, like you said, it begins with yourself. And then it, it's interesting. Um, I also kind of hear this flavor of let, you know, let your class guide you, getting to know your students at that level where um, they're sharing themselves and creating, um, at creating an environment where it's okay. I'm, I'm creating an environment where it's okay for you to be who you are. And I want to know your story and I want to learn from your story. And then let's make connections through people's stories. Um, it just seems like, you know, we talk about starting with ourselves and then that really is what we need to do reflect back into our students is really um, starting with them and and getting our students comfortable with who they are and being proud of no matter um, what type of background or where you come from 
is to really reflect that back into the classroom in in positive ways so it reflects back to them um, and helps build their who they are as a person um, I I'm so curious too because I think you know you mentioned PBIS and SEL do you feel like some of those pieces have some um, influences on as you build your cultural competencies in in a school you know, like it really would yeah I, I do believe that um, I definitely believe that how being mindful of the, the the building culture and like I mean walking into a building we all feel a certain way when we walk into different buildings that we might be working in um, one building might stress you out one building like oh I love coming here and really figuring out why is it that you love coming here and being really aware of that. Um, but being aware of that and, and, and with that, being aware of what's going on as far as the culture of the building and, and being in, in, in tune with that and finding out with the building principles, what is their mission? What is their overall focus? What's their focus? Um, do they have a mission? Um, is it a lived mission or is it just a mission up on the wall? Um, so those are questions that I have. And it's like, how, how does the principal engage the teachers and support the teachers to to buy into that the mission so all of those kind of pieces are important as well and that involves with connecting to the programming that's within the building um utilizing pbs um utilizing those different approaches and just knowing that all those things and different approaches um i don't think there's one answer um but i do think there's multiple ah this might help this might help this might help too so let's try to do those things and then being honest about say okay figuring out ways on how to reflect and how to evaluate that and say uh, how how can we measure this how can we measure and look at this and see is this being successful is this tied is this connected to our building mission is it working for us if it's not what do we need to tweak so that we're we're, we're not only aligned with our building mission but we're aligned with our our, our our values and aligned helping our kids understand those values um I'm curious. I've been, so you mentioned something before um, you talked about the, um, I believe it was called the racial autobiography that mm -hmm. you do. Uh, and then you talked about how taking it even further and having, doing it with your class, if you have a, a group of students. Now, from somebody who works mostly with the littlest of littles, so we're talking um, kiddos in grades kindergarten through like the primary grades how would you can you walk me through what that might look like for a teacher um, of an elementary class like how could it seems to me like a racial autobiography just by its term seems so complex that it's not the kids aren't ready to grasp but i have a feeling that they are but how do you how do you do that with them without making it feel like it's something that they are not capable of those beginning of the year i i think those beginning of the year uh, activities like who am i charts that you can get um, or create um, and just really figuring out how to connect with the kiddos and part of it is uh, the teacher trying to figure out how can I connect with them so that they open up to share who they are as an individual um, who are you and for little little ones it'd be like basic information and trying to find out you know what's your name um, what's your mommy's name you know who's in your family so learning basic things about them but also helping them to articulate that um, and feel comfortable in saying who they are as an individual, not only to you, but also maybe to the whole class. So starting small and helping them have ownership, teaching them, teaching them what their phone number is. You know, my phone number is this and telling them why it's important for them to know their phone number. Um, so little things like that um, and helping them. So pieces of who they are and then also building them up. Got it. So they're like the small pieces that are part of their identity, you start having them make those connections. And then as they grow, and I'm connecting it to um, my work with kids with SEL, it's, you know, talking about social awareness with others and self-aware and self-management, trying to, you know, manage all of the different emotions that you're feeling. It kind of starts with first recognizing that there are more than the three mad, sad, happy emotions. And like starting with that and then expanding and broadening the vocabulary broadening the understanding of how it connects to the self um so is that very similar kind of in what yeah okay. and i'm also a firm believer too especially with the younger ones too tying and figuring out ways to actually um teach this to them visually mm -hmm. um and having a visual component to this 
with them so they can really incorporate it. It's like, oh, that's what that is. That's what that looks like. But then also countering and differentiating and saying, but it could also look like this. So kind of countering, helping them to understand and scaffolding that, that learning a little bit and kind of adjusting to help them learn. I have to tell you, I really like that, that activity that um, looking at like an autobiography of yourself, because I feel like um, it gives like a gateway to um, like an awareness of like um, our individual values and our beliefs and our diversity. And it kind of like in, in a more organic way allows um, maybe students to see that um, stereotypes are not necessarily that, I mean, kind of just, I don't know, like kind of creates this environment where, oh, I'm breaking down stereotypes because that's not who you are. I'm more of awareness of who you are as a person versus um, what I what I thought I believed. And I think too, then when you open up your classroom like that, it almost seems that you're projecting an attitude of um, acceptance of everybody's story and that you're, you want to hear your, you know, teachers want to hear your stories and who you are. Um, and then I think it almost makes this robust um, environment of learning and knowledge, the transfer of knowledge from each of the students as well. Um, and I think too then, maybe at an older level, do you feel like if you're starting in that way where you're, you know, a, an awareness and then looking at breaking down some of the stereotypes, but then also when you get to the knowledge portion, do you feel like then that is where those bridges are built and that the communication, the effective communication can take place and that students can do and reflect on cultural influences and problems and come together as a group to hear each other and find common ground in solving problems that we see? I definitely think that's a, a start. Yeah, I think that, that would be part of it. Um, and I would even back up a little bit and do those reinforcers with them. When you present this kind of activity with students, they need, they need reinforcements. Once they've done the task, whatever it is that you're having them either present or share, reinforcing that experience with them so they have that positive experience that they can build off of. Um, and I think from there, then you can start opening it up to more open-ended questions um, around different topics. What do you think about this? What would be a solution? How could we address this? How do we make something right when this is so, so very wrong? Um, and then letting them come up with their own ideas um, and then acknowledging those ideas, whether you think it's right or right or not, um, checking that, that your own opinion about that and letting them at least express what theirs is. Um, I definitely think that's a first step. It almost seems like, and I think in SEL too, stuff jump in, but it's building that sk the skills, building the skills um, with students in being curious and focusing in on that awareness piece as well. So they do see each other as, um, you know, like problem solvers and being open to new ideas and suggestions. And I think two people like that, again, going back to being good, good with yourself, then I'm also able to be more open to um, learning and growing with someone too. My skills can be enhanced um, and not feel threatened in any way. I'm gonna, and I'll piggyback off of that as well, because I was thinking very similar things when um, you have that foundational piece where you can peel the layers of the onion and you really do understand who you are, then what happens is you can have more robust conversations that are maybe could be considered, you know, controversial or where you know you're gonna have disagreements. But because everybody has been able to go through the process of, if you start them as early as we talked about kindergarten, where you start to recognize, you know, what different pieces belong with your identity, when you get to that point, you will have that understanding of, you know, we each are who we are. And because of that, we have the capacity to be able to talk through this, um, knowing that I know myself. And when, and 
<clears throat> excuse me, Mindy, when you were when you were talking about that, and I was making the connections with everything that you've said, Jonathan, it started to make me think maybe we as adults and educators we haven't we haven't gone through that enough that we don't know ourselves enough that maybe that's why when we are confronted with things that we know we might have disagreements on we can't we can't effectively get through them you know and we struggle with that because we truly haven't been able to start off with knowing our identity we don't know all of those layers of you know of who we are so that you know that's showing up now and so then it's it's our job as educators now to build that in the students that we are serving so that when they get to that point they will have a better means of being able to do that yeah uh oh go ahead mindy no i was just going to say it's interesting too do you feel like um if you were to approach a classroom you approach your classroom in that that way where you're building awareness and skills um and knowledge you kind of close the gaps of like the cultural um cultural skills gap is that what you call it do you know what i mean like you're you can close those gaps by going through that process of teaching students who they are and being proud of who that is and being open-minded to um, experience new things and um, new perspectives without losing who they are maybe that's something we are kind of i don't know coming into as educators looking at the importance of students um who they are into their educational experiences i don't know if that makes yeah. sense it does um i think one of the things that i think we could do a better job of is really check <clears throat> excuse me checking ourselves when we're viewing our students um and recognizing that especially like i i, I like utilizing data but when we're utilizing data making sure that we're not using the data to, you know, box in our students and that we're not just viewing our kiddos as just a data point of they've been suspended this many times. Um, really trying to find a ways to connect with them and find out how can I best help you? How can I help you learn how to process through these problems? How can I teach you how to problem solve so that you can problem solve your own um, challenges that you're faced with? Um, uh, cause I don't want to come in as a savior. I want to come in as a supporter that is supporting you through your own learning. Um, yeah, so. I think at one time when we were talking too, you made a good point, Jonathan, and I don't know if you want to touch more on it is it leads into sometimes we are really good at finding the problems, but can we be really good at solving those problems? Right. A good friend, yeah, a good friend of mine, I learned that from a good friend of mine, her name is Trista Harris. She works in the nonprofit world. Um, and one of the things that she says that I see very parallel within the education world is that we put too much time and energy into the problem. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying don't acknowledge, you know, certain concerns, but at the same time, don't focus on just those. Try to find out what other aspects are there for this or for that particular kiddo um, if they're having chronic absenteeism, trying to find out why they're absent, what's stopping them from coming to school, or you know, are there, what are some other factors that we're not? Are we trying to see our kids as holy as possible, um, not just within the school building, but what's going on in the school, in the hallway, in the lunchroom, outside, on the bus, at home? Those factors that they're trying to process through, especially our, our younger ones. Um, our younger ones are processing through different traumas. What traumas are they going through? And how can we best support them through those pieces? Um, and, and, and really thinking about where do I want, where do I want my, where do I want this kid to win a year from now? He's at this point right now, we're seeing this, this, and this. Where do I want them? Where do I want them to be in a year from now? Um, and how can I get them to that spot in a year from now? Um, you might you might be able to you might not um, but again it comes back to that connecting piece and wanting to connect with the student and wanting them to be at that particular spot in a year from now and mm -hmm. really taking a look at um, you know I think what I'm hearing you say too is um, taking a student and and not just seeing them as a struggling reader 
or um, a, a struggling Asian reader or, you know, or a Native American reader, um, but looking at them as such a bigger whole of like who you are as a person and that, you know, these are aspects that of, you know, of that person. So then how can we build up their confidence and find avenues so they can connect better with reading? And becoming more successful but not focusing in on you know creating it as a problem you know and then going through your whole elementary school believing you're a bad reader and that's who you are you've now created this one piece of maybe that you know the journey your journey as a person that you've struggled with but now it becomes who you are and how do we as teachers eliminate that and not create childhood trauma but see people as so, so much more diverse than just a few aspects of themselves, if that makes sense. I don't know if I'm making um, sense there, but I do feel like what, what you're saying is, you know, let's be problem solvers and see kids much more um, dimensionally. Would that be the word? Like so many more dimensions than at, yeah. at times. And I'm not saying, I'm, I don't want to make it a generalization, but I think it's sometimes easy. Well, oh, you know, Johnny's just not a good reader, you know, and then Johnny becomes, that's who Johnny becomes. And so how can we help Johnny become, um, you know, confidence in himself and see himself as a reader, see himself as, you know, I don't know, a good student or. And I think it's those pitfalls sometimes, like Johnny's a bad reader those kind of, that kind of thinking that interferes. And one of the things I'm learning to try to do um, that I would strongly suggest is trying to figure out ways how to check ourselves and say, wait, okay, Johnny may be struggling with this reading. What can I change in my instructional approach? And how would I have handled this my first or second year as a teacher? And I, again, I come back to that because novice teachers we come in with a different energy we come in with a different energy as a novice teacher and how do we hold on to that energy because we're like i don't care i'm gonna solve this problem i'm gonna figure this out i'm i'm, I'm gonna figure out how how to get it. i don't care i'm gonna i'm gonna I'm figure this out and that changes over time it's like how do we come back to that um so that johnny can go from struggling to you know in, in, improving and then also how do i then help Johnny recognize his own journey yeah. of struggling to where he's at now and helping him understand how he's the process through that. Um, so. Yeah. It, it almost seems like what you're saying is we need to fall in love with solutions. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we need to we go there. Fall in love with possibility, possibility that, you know, our kids, we, we say our kids are going to be the, be the future of tomorrow. Um, well, future is it's now. Mm -hmm. um, and again, coming back to that whole vibe, it's like trying to revisit, go back and reflect on, you know, where were you at as an instructor your first couple of years of teaching? Did you lose any of that, that, that energy that you have? And if you did, why did you lose it? What got in the way? How do you reconnect to that? Because that same energy, if you bring that, kids feel it right away. Students feel that within the first 30 seconds in your classroom, they can tell they can tell within the first 30 seconds in your classroom whether or not you're gonna even try to connect with them and want them to actually learn and grow. Would you say um, maybe, we've, we've talked a lot about some takeaways and things that we can do as teachers in classrooms or if we're in leadership roles and, and instructional coaching roles, but would you say a huge takeaway from this conversation right now is reflecting on oneself and whether you feel as if you are constantly learning and I'm going to just throw it in there and allowing yourself to be vulnerable and uncomfortable and do that self-check because if you're not feeling vulnerable or uncomfortable you maybe then need to ask that question why why aren't you um, where did that zest go for saying I am gonna I'm gonna solve this um, I, I wholeheartedly agree. I think there is this beauty with the novice teachers in, in going in and having all of that energy and uh, those, the seasoned teachers start to 
um, it's not that they're, they become ineffective by any means, but it's maybe the fact that becoming uncomfortable is too much, you know, or, or there's something with it where we have to, we have to grab hold on of that and say, that's actually what makes us better. That's actually what makes us grow and become more effective is allowing ourselves to be vulnerable, allowing ourselves to be uncomfortable because we know that through that, that's where we grow more. Yep. I completely agree. Cause yeah, again, that whole feeling of when you come in not knowing what to do that first year you're not sure but you got you're excited you just graduated um and kind of reconnecting to your reconnecting i guess if i had to boil it down reconnecting to your why reconnecting to why you're in the field in the first place why did you become a teacher there's a reason why you became a teacher um and if you're not aware of what that reason is you will lose it and you'll forget it yeah. and trying to keep that at the forefront. And once you do reclaim it, you know, restate it out loud to yourself and to your students. This is why I became a teacher because of this. I'm passionate about this and holding on to your passions and not letting them go. Um, some, I guess some other additional thoughts I'd say is with that is continue to read, listen and reflect and then also speak, especially when it comes about culture. Don't be quiet. Get in the conversation and be vulnerable and be willing to be uncomfortable and not sure um, and be in those spaces and just know you're gonna be okay. Um, you're gonna be okay. Um, and you might learn something and you might actually teach somebody something else. Um, so those are some, some key pieces that again, like coming back to that reflection piece, it's just like, how many reflection papers did you have to do? When you, as a novice teacher and a pre-service teacher, all the reflection you had to go do, write the lesson plan and then implement the lesson plan and then reflect on the lesson plan and then come back a week later and reflect on how you modified that lesson plan. We don't, and, and it's rigorous, but it's important. And we, we, we don't, it's, we need to re-grasp that. Mm -hmm. I think some of these conversations are so interesting because it's so vital to cultural competency, but it's actually, I think, vital to just good communication as well. And how we, re how we connect with each other on an individual basis and you know, how we, again, go back to that common ground. Like I can find common ground with anyone if I am curious and I am open and I'm okay to be vulnerable, and I'm willing for others to make mistakes because I know that I will make mistakes as I'm learning to navigate. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I just wanna, I don't know, I just really wanna thank you for the conversation, Jonathan, because I thank think you. it's so vital um, for us to have the conversation in kind of a raw, um, in conversation format where you're hearing from many different voices and um, really taking a look at um, different perspectives and stories. It really goes back to individual stories. So thank you so much for sharing your story today. Thank you. Is there just one big thing that you just wanna leave with people and you just wanna make sure that, you know, if there's one thing that I can leave um, people listening to this, what would it be? What would it be? Um... I would say, again, coming back to um, educators, why? Um, why, why, did you, why did you want to become a teacher? There is a reason for each of us as individuals why we can My mom was a teacher. Mine was. Um, and there were so many things that she exposed me to. But it's not just the exposure. Why did you decide to go to school, get a degree, get a license? And why are you still in? I'd say, what is your why? And what is why are you still in the field? And do a comparison of why you're still in the field to why you got into the field. Are they still the same? Have they shifted? Did you lose something? Did you forget something? Um, did you forget about all the things and just reflect? What are some of the cool things you did? Do you remember any of the projects you did as a pre-service teacher? Do you remember any of the projects that you did that really got you super excited your first year teaching? 
your third year teaching. What were some of those things? Write them out, revisit those things because we forget as educators how much really innovative things we do as educators. Um, and for the seasoned teachers, seasoned teachers have some amazing experiences and just revisiting what they've done and just revisit those things and finding out, am I still on point for me? Not anybody else, but for me, am I, am I connected to my why still? Um, I guess that was, that's what I would want to leave people with is what is your, what is know yourself, know what, and remind yourself, what is your why? And what is it, Dory? I love that. Thank you so much, Jonathan. We just so are so appreciative for you sharing your story today. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Thanks for taking the time to join our Learning Minnesota discussion with Jonathan C. W. Jones on the topic of cultural competency, a racial autobiography. Don't forget to visit our site, learningminnesota.com, for additional resources on this particular topic and more videos in our resource library. Thank <laughs> you.